It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel, or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training. Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com. Ed Tate, welcome to the show. Welcome to Become Your Own Superhero. Thank you. Appreciate it, I'm glad to be a part of your show. The 2000 Toastmasters world champion of public speaking. It's an absolute thrill and honor to have you on the podcast today. I'm going to start with a question. Sure. What's the single greatest benefit of being a really competent public speaker? Well, it's not all the money. <laughs> uh, probably confidence. That's probably the one I would I would say is the number one benefit of being a really good public speaker. And not only just in public speaking, but your business life, your personal life, etc. I am an introvert, which surprises a, a great deal many people. And as a kid in in grade school and high school, terribly, terribly shy, if you will. And public speaking actually improved my confidence in all aspects of my life. So one of the things I, I highly recommend for people who want help in the area of confidence is uh, be part of Toastmasters. Toastmasters is a nonprofit organization worldwide. Go to toastmasters.org. There is a club or in your every city in the world. There's, there's like 148,000 uh, locations around the globe. And they teach people confidence in two different areas. Number one, leadership development. And number two, public speaking. And you get a chance to practice both of these skills live in a safe environment. So the biggest benefit of being a world champion of public speaking or public speaker in general is it improves your confidence. And it gives you confidence to uh, you know, ask for a date, uh, ask for a raise, ask for the job. It gives you the confidence to ask. Well, that's a really great response, Ed. <laughs> and it's so simple, isn't it? One of the one of the single uh, greatest learnings that I've developed from my own interest in becoming a speaker and learning how to be a better communicator and, and just understanding how it works really is all of those things that you're talking about. And, and people often say to me, yeah, but Laban, I don't, want, I don't want to be a professional speaker. Mm-hmm. And my argument is that it's nothing to do with that at all. What are your thoughts I agree on with that? You. I, I agree completely, but there are aspects of your life that you do want help with. You do want to, like, like I said before, you know, um, okay. So I'll, I'll tell you the story of what I call the legend of pretty Ricky. Uh, the legend of pretty Ricky. When I went to high school, again, painfully shy. However, I was fortunate. I had a coach and it was my incredibly handsome cousin, Ricky. And uh, we used to call him pretty Ricky. Now, let me tell you how pretty Ricky was. We used to go to parties. And again, I grew up in Chicago. And no matter what part of the city we went to a party to, it didn't matter if it was the north side, the west side, or the south side, unsolicited girls would walk up to Ricky every single weekend and hand him their phone numbers. You know, it was a bad weekend if he didn't get 10 numbers. I am not making this up. So one day in school, it's, you know, it's time for the senior prom. And Ricky looks at me. He says, hey, Ed, when are you going to ask Lolita out? So he knew I had a, a big time crush on a girl by the name of Lolita Barnes. And I said, you know, man, she'd never go out with a guy like me. Uh, she, uh, we had 490 seniors. She was ranked number five academically. She was a cheerleader and she had just been named prom queen. And, and I said to myself, I don't have a shot. So Ricky, and to this day, I'll never forget this conversation. And it's, it was a turning point of my life. He said, let me ask you a couple questions. Question number one, is she going out with you now? I said, no. If you ask her and she says, no, will she be going out with you in the future? 
I said, no. So he says, let me get this straight. She's not going out with you now. You ask her, she says, no, she won't be going out with you in the future, right? I said, right. He says, so your circumstances haven't changed. Am I right? I said, right. He says, Eddie, if you ask her and she says, yes, then everything changes. He said, don't you say no before they say no. Never tap out. Never take yourself out of the game. Always ask. And guess who took Lolita Barnes out to the prom? Hell Pretty yeah. Pretty Ricky. <laughs> <laughs> I told you he was pretty, right? Well, you're not paying attention. <laughs> no, I'm only kidding. She said yes. And that was a turning point in my life. And I never forgot that. And I said to myself, you know what? How many times do you take yourself out of the game? How, how many times do you want to ask someone for fill in the blank, whatever it may be, and you take yourself out of the game? You say no before they say no. You tap out. You say, oh, they'll never do that, et cetera. And that's not true at all. It's all in your head. So the biggest benefit of you being more confident as a public speaker is you become more confident as a person. And you don't have to be a pro, you know, professional speaker. But that confidence will help you in all aspects of your life. It, it can't be contained. That's the thing I've discovered. If you're confident in one area of your life, it spreads to all the other areas of your life. Would, would you agree, Ed, that being a really or a much more confident speaker than, say, the status quo is a really key component in developing charisma? Ooh, that's a, that's a good question. I, I'm going to answer it a different way. There is no one way to be a professional speaker. There's no one way. There's all different types of personalities. There's all different types of, you know, all, a different, all different types of people, all different types of voices, if you will. The most important thing is that you need to step up and have your voice be heard. You know, uh, I have a certain style. I have a certain personality. I'm known as the speaker who energizes, educates, and entertains. I, I get audiences involved. I get them standing up and doing all types of crazy things. And the reason I do that, not because I want to necessarily make it fun, there's actually science behind it. So for example, to the degree that you can get an audience to move with your content, it makes it memorable. Movement makes your content memorable. But that's my style. That's my approach. Your style and your approach is that we were talking you know, just before uh, we started broadcasting. And you were saying like, you know, I, I, I like to be like a little controversial. I like to be like a little confrontational, you know, um, but that's your style and that fits you. So I think uh, in terms of charisma, your charisma is your own, it's unique. And here's the good news. You don't have to copy anybody else. The only thing you've got to do nowadays is to be yourself. That's the best piece of advice I got for anybody. Be yourself, be your own voice. Don't try to copy anybody else. What do they say? It'd be yourself because everyone else is taken. Exactly. Exactly. And and there's no there's there has never been anybody like you on earth, and there never will be. And that is your advantage. And there's room for all, all these different voices. One of the things that struck me about your award-winning speech, Ed, was the sheer impact of the start. And I, I think I'll leave it to you maybe to share with our audience uh, what that involved, if you're happy to. And what we'll do is we'll include the, the link to the original recording, um, certainly in the links below, because it's a must watch. I mean, it's the best goddamn speech in the year 2000 out of, uh, you know, tens of thousands, 35,000 contestants, I think, Ed, give mm -hmm. or take. Yeah. So I think what you're referring to is my start. So typically, if someone's introduced to a speak, what happens uh, to, for a speech, they usually start yapping right away. I don't do that. What I do mentally is I, I, I came out onto the stage. I found my spot. And then what I wanted to do is I wanted to energetically connect with the audience. So what I did is I looked to my left and I just, I just scanned the audience. And then I look to my right and I just scan and I just, I, I want to greet the audience with my eyes. And then I scanned in the center. And what I'm doing is I, I want to greet the audience with my eyes, mentally, psychologically, emotionally, but I'm not going to, I want, I don't want to start until I'm ready. So even, even though this entire time, it takes like what, four or five seconds or so, it sets me apart right away because all of a sudden it builds up the anticipation. It builds up the curiosity. And all of a sudden, people 
psychologically say to myself, okay, this guy is different. What's happening here? And then we start. And then in my mind, I'm thinking like, okay, we're about to go on the roller coaster ride. Now, mentally in my head, before I, as I'm stepping out there, I'm, I'm saying to myself, there's someone who's suffering in silence in the audience who needs to hear this message. Ed, don't get in the way. And what I mean by that is don't let my ego get in the way of the message because the message is even more important than me. So I think that's what you're referencing. Yeah, it's it's the, the pause feels like an eternity. And what I found is the exact result of what you're trying to achieve. I was like highly, highly anticipatory of what you were about to say. And then it's like, pow. And we're not going to spoil it for the for the folks at home because it's it's really worthwhile watching. So if you're just listening to this, get on, just jump on YouTube, Ed Tate, Toastmasters is one of the main videos here. You can't you can't go wrong. Because your your childhood, your background, for those that are only able to listen to this, what's your cultural background, Ed? Uh, let's see. Um, I am, you know, I'm African American, uh, born and raised in uh, Chicago. Uh, I'm a, a bit of a mutt. Um, uh, my, my dad is African American. My mom is, uh, she's mixed uh, black, white, Native American. Uh, I tell people it was, you know, it was, it was a wild party and I'm pretty sure alcohol was involved. But <laughs> if, you, if, if you look at my ancestry DNA, you know, like you do one of those DNA tests. I mean, literally, I am like all over the globe. I think the only place that I don't have um, uh, any ancestry is Australia, <laughs> to the relief of probably many people listening. And uh, let's see, China, if you will. But like I have family all over the place. It's, just, it's absolutely remarkable. And about a third uh, is uh, British, Scottish, if you will. So that's that's uh, kind of interesting. But being raised when I when I was... It was very, very challenging. So I grew up in the late 1960s, early 1970s. And because I did not look like your typical African-American and plus I didn't look like your typical white kid, I, I wasn't black enough to be black and I wasn't white enough to be white. You usually got bullied by both sides. And that, you know, that was uh, pretty, pretty rough growing up, if you will. And on top of that, uh, I'm a stutterer. So there's no cure for stuttering. So you look kind of weird. And you sound kind of weird, you know, that that's going to make you a target. And one of the things I did as a kid was uh, my dad was in the military. So we, we took we often moved every year, year and a half or so. So we're going to move. We're going to move to this, you know, the big city again because we had moved away from Chicago and we're, we're coming back. But I'm just going to be in a different neighborhood this time. And I was determined that in this new neighborhood, the kids would not make fun of me, at least not for stuttering. So the thing I used to do every day before school and after school is I would take out magazines and newspapers and I would read them out loud. Then in the neighborhood where I lived at the time before the move, kids used to play basketball outdoors. So I got the bright idea. Let me do play by play. So I walked up to all the kids. Hey, what's, who's your favorite basketball players? I memorized who the favorite basketball, basketball players were. And I literally did live play by play as they played full court basketball outdoors, did that for several months. And then when I went to the new school, none of the kids ever figured out that I stuttered. Then from there, I went to a school called South Shore High School, and it was one of the few schools at the time that actually had a television studio. So I became a news anchor for the next four years. I go to University of Illinois. I get a job as a disc jockey, not a student-run radio station, an actual real radio station. This is how I financed my, my, my college university uh, education, and I was the number one disc jockey for four and a half years there. So looking back on things, you know, if connecting the dots, the reason I became a public speaker in the first place is because I didn't want kids making fun of me. That was my start. But when I look back on it, reading those newspapers, doing that play by play, becoming a news anchor, becoming a disc jockey, all those things helped me eventually when I competed in the world championship of public speaking. So, uh, what is it? Steve Jobs says, you can't connect the dots looking forward, but you can always connect the dots looking backwards. And, and those are my dots. Was the stuttering something from birth, do you think? Or was it linked to a particularly eventful moment in life, trauma, et cetera? It's something that I've always had. Uh, I, I can't say, I can't link it to a trauma specifically. I think it's just, you know, severe shyness, if you will, being around others. And again, 
looking different. You know, I didn't look like even in my family photos, you know, like I was raised by my dad's side of the family. So my, my dad, you know, they're, they're black people. And so if you see a family photo, oh, there's Ed. Oh, it's yeah, yeah, there's Ed. You know, so it's really easy to pick me out. You know? <laughs> you know? And then when you, you know, and when you go to school or you go to, you know, you're always like that odd, people can't figure out who the heck you are. So I think maybe it could be being different, that type of trauma contributed to it. And I don't have a severe case, but I will occasionally double stammer and I'll double clutch and I'll repeat a phrase over and over again. And I've, I've worked years and years and years. We're talking about decades of work that the majority of people can't tell that I have this condition, but there's no cure for it. I mean, you've done phenomenally well. And then the reason I bring it up is my older brother uh, developed a stutter from a young age. Simultaneously, I think, became a bedwetter. And, and his was the mm. result of uh, going through divorce, the mm. son of divorce twice <laughs> in, wow. in only about a decade. And uh, I've also been through divorce twice um, with another step parent, but I was a lot older when the second one happened. So one one's enough, and I know the impact can affect children absolutely tremendously. And and the effect on confidence, self confidence, is is rather remarkable. So for you to turn that around and uh, end up where you are now is, is rather extraordinary, very extraordinary, and very inspirational. And I love that story of when you were working on the radio doing the graveyard shift when you were at college. And I wondered if you'd share that with our audience. Okay. Uh, so two stories. Um, I initially started off on the graveyard shift of the radio station. So midnight to like three o'clock in the morning, which was like absolutely brutal. But my radio station all of a sudden started picking up ratings and to the point where uh, the station manager said, hey, we'd like you to be our drive time jock. So drive time was from, let's see, 4 p.m. until 7 p.m. So it was like, it was like one of the, the, the biggest time slots. And there was another guy who, um, who had been at the radio station for a number of years. And um, basically, I beat, beat him out. So, you know, he got, he got kicked to another time slot. Not very happy about it. Uh, and he also turned out to be a football player on the University of Illinois uh, football team. Uh, here was a man who was a mountain of a man. I think he was 6'4", possibly 6'5", 300 pounds, and it was all muscle. There was not a slither of fat on this guy. I swear to God, his arms were bigger than my thighs. It, he looked like freaking Hercules. So after this was announced... Uh, he, he kind of corners me like as I'm leaving the radio station after my first week on the air. And he tells me, he's like, hey, you know, you better quit. Or basically, I'm going to beat the crap out of you. And at the time, I'm like, I'm 120 pounds, man. I'm like, I'm five foot 11. I'm just like a string bean, you know. There's no way I'm going to, you know, I don't even, four of my friends, I don't think we could kick his butt, you know, <laughs> if we got together, you know. And I'm thinking, oh, this guy is, he's trying to get me to, to quit. And I mean, I got to tell you, I was scared to death. And he's okay, I'm gonna give you a week to decide. And no, actually, it was a Friday, I'm gonna give you until Monday to decide, you know, and otherwise, you know, I'm, I'm gonna I'm kick your butt. And there's nobody there, I've got no witnesses, nothing. So that night, I couldn't sleep, I couldn't eat. I told my friends, I told my family, and then all of a sudden I had this eureka moment. Uh, I had time to think. And by the way, all problems are solvable if you take the time to think. And the eureka moment was this. Even though we worked at a commercial radio station, we were both students at the University of Illinois. I happened to be a resident advisor. A resident advisor is university staff, striking someone who is university staff is immediate grounds for dismissal from the school. Number one. Number two, I called the police and said, like, told them what happened. They said, well, um, <clears throat> there's nothing we can do unless there's an actual assault. I'm thinking like, hey, have you heard of crime prevention? I'm trying to keep your numbers lower here. <laughs> you know, like, can, we, can we prevent this crime from happening? He says, no. He says, but if he does hit you, we'll arrest him. This is like, thanks. Okay. So then I contact my family. and. Um, we have several people who are attorneys and they said like, okay, this guy, we've done some research. He might make it to the NFL. He might make it professional. We'll sue him. We'll take, we'll take everything. 
So anyway, it is it is Sunday. You know, it is Sunday. And he, you know, he corners me again. And I say to him, I says, okay, here's the deal. I decided I'm not going to give up my spot because the more I thought about it, if I gave it up, I would regret that for the rest of my life. And I said, you know what? I'd rather take an ass kicking, you know? And um, I said, I'm not going to take, uh, I'm not going to quit. I said, and before you hit me, and by the way, here's this mountain of a man and he's got this big piece of wood in his hand. He's got a two by four. I'm thinking like, dude, I didn't know we could bring wood to this. You know, <laughs> I didn't get the email. I get, I didn't get the text message. You know, we can bring wood. <laughs> um, and I said, uh, number one, I'm not going to quit. But there's a couple of things you need to know. We both, you and I both go to University of Illinois, right? Right. You're a football player, right? Right. I says, I'm a resident advisor. And what that means, I'm university staff. And if you hit me, that may, that's immediate grounds from dismissal from the school. Uh, you can say goodbye to your scholarship, and you can also say goodbye to the team. That's number one. Number two, if you hit me, you're going to jail because I will report you to the police. By the way, I understand that you're married and you got a baby. So you can say goodbye to your wife and your newborn daughter. Number three, I will sue you. Love your Camaro. It's a beautiful car. I think I will look good in that one. Plus, if you make it to the NFL, I'm going to get your signing bonus. Okay? So you can decide what you're going to do. Now, I got to tell you, I was nervous as hell. My hands were shaking, so I kept my hands in back of me. And I'm thinking, like, this guy's going to wind up and just light me up. And you can see, like, the, the wheels in his head turning and he just walked away. And that was the last time I dealt with him. And the aha for me was this, every problem is solvable, but we must take the time to think. And at the time, I didn't think I had anything. I didn't think I had any assets. I didn't think I had any type of help. But by thinking about, thinking through this problem, every problem has a solution. Every problem has a solution. When I thought about it, I've got a lot of assets. I've got a lot of things on my side. There's a lot of things I can do, and I don't have to physically do anything with my hands. So that was a life lesson for me. I love that story, Ed, and I'm so interested to know what's happening in that gentleman's life as we speak. Have you done any internet stalking on him? Um, he never made it to the NFL. He tried for out, out for a couple teams, uh, but never made it, and uh, which is for surprising because uh, in, here in the United States, we have this uh, – uh, football player. His name is uh, uh, Gronkowski. He used to play for the New England Patriots, and now he's playing for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And he's a very, very popular football player. This guy was the prototype of Gronk. He was the same size, you know, same position, etc. And you know, <clears throat> I, I, I don't know. Maybe he was ahead of his time, but anyway. But I know he never made it to the NFL. And he never bothered me again. That was my only concern. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, one thing that it's really become apparent, Ed, when when I have had an opportunity to interview elite level or world class athletes, I've had Olympians and Ironman world champions, and the former head coach of the New Zealand All Blacks, which win the Helberg oh, yeah. Award. You know, uh, Justin Langer, the, the Australian cricket coach, and a number of players as well. Hey, I've got some all. I've got some all blacks gear. I should have worried on this. Call. Have you? Yeah. <laughs> like everyone loves the all blacks, right? Yeah. But what, one thing that's become abundantly clear: all of these people that I interview that are world class, the ones that have really truly succeeded and been best of the best, they're all inherently really amazing people. They understand and appreciate the value of how great, grateful they are, uh, and how humble. They need to be to stay grounded and not have ego. And it just sounds like this guy was, you know, had an inflated ego and and that's, look what's happened, you know, he never made it, you know, when he had all the all the physical gifts that you could possibly want to, to succeed in life. Well, I've seen a lot of athletes. I've seen a lot of athletes, especially here in the States. You know, they are, they're the best of the best in grade school, high school, and especially at university. You know, they're treated like, you know, they're put on this type of pedestal. And here's a big intimidating man. So I don't think he was accustomed to someone telling him no, you know, prior to that. And again, um, again, I had a well reason. And by the way, I was going to execute on everything. The only thing I didn't want to execute on was, you know, getting my ass beat. <laughs> 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 Let's be real here. <laughs> I was just like, 
man, you know, uh, but uh, I just, you know, I just thought it through and, and again, it just, it made a difference. And again, confidence, that situation right there gave me more confidence moving forward in my life. So I've had other situations, not nearly as physically threatening, but like, you know, working in corporate America, office politics, if you will, you know, I, I learned, it taught me how to stand my ground in a way that's professional, not demeaning to the other person, but to the point where, um, you know, you, you, people knew that you meant business. The one thing I did learn about my, my upbringing in Chicago is if you let a bully beat you up, then that, that's going to be your reputation. And then other bullies, aspiring bullies, will practice on you. Okay. That's, that's a rule. It's like, okay, like, you know, okay, here, here's a guy you can beat up, you know, and they pat, they, and, and that's a life lesson as well. But if you stand up regardless uh, and people say, Hey, that's a guy who's going to stand up. You know what? There's, there's, there's easier prey, if you will. Um, and that's the lesson I've learned. So I've always, I've always stood up, you know, no matter what. And that's something that it's, that has a confidence that has built about me, if you will. You said something just before, Ed, that I think is really important to highlight and that you were you were going to follow through with everything that you'd threatened. And I think if you go into an, an altercation or an engagement like that and you aren't willing to commit to what you are threatening, that will come through and it will, will come across as weakness. So I think, you know, that that terrified him, you know, you, mm-hmm. and you you told him a story of what his – potential future was going to look like. I think that's exactly. the most, like, <laughs> thing. Yeah. I never thought of it that way. Yeah. But yeah, that this this is what your what your future life is going to look like. <laughs> the power of storytelling. Yeah. Speaking of storytelling, Ed, you've you've been involved with a number of books. I think is it four or five that you've written? I've 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 been in what what you call anthologies, if you will. So I've written a chapter here, chapter there, and things of that nature. I am working on the book right now, which I've, I've, it's the first, my, surf, my first solo book, or as, as my wife says, your first real book. Um, <laughs> Brutal. Uh, <laughs> you, know, you know, family has no filter. Yeah. No. Have you ever had that experience? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mr. You know, world champion of public speaking, empty the garbage. You know, we've got a two-year-old, change the diaper, you know, <laughs> kind of like, kind of knock you down there, if you will. Uh, but it's uh, how, to, how to win high stakes presentations. And that, what do I mean by a high stakes presentations? And we're not talking investment banking and things of that nature. A high stakes presentation could be a job interview. A high stakes presentation could be, it could be a date. Uh, for the most part, I'm working with small businesses and they're making some type of pitch and they're trying to sell their products and services. And it's designed, it's targeted towards non-sales professionals. So, you know, it's an ordinary, every, ordinary everyday you know, worker, individual, et cetera, who's, who's got something at stake. So that's what we're working on right now. And I'm, I'm really excited about that. And we're looking at the first quarter of, uh, of next year for that. Here's a question for you. Are you going to record the Audible? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Speaking of Audible, this has nothing to do with our topic or our subject, but I just heard a great Audible book, um, Matthew McConaughey's Green Lights. Green Lights. It is absolutely remarkable. I just listened to that over this past weekend. I'm going to listen to it again. So, you know, so, uh, and here's a person who is, and, and to hear it in his own voice, it's, it's significantly better. So I'm definitely going to record it in my own voice. Well, I read, I've, I've also downloaded that book. I've started listening to it. And one of the reviews said something along the lines of, all right, all right, all right. It's Matthew McConaughey. Come to your life in Texas. I think I'm butchering his accent. I, I oh, you did. That, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. He <laughs> actually lived in, like, in his book, he actually lived in Australia for a year. Did he really? Yeah, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, he was an exchange student. So he 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 lived in Australia. And that's, he says that was one of his Australia experience is one of the things that helped shape and mold him. Well, blow me down. There you go. Fair suck of the sieve. <laughs> <laughs> there's a book. There's another book while we're on the subject of recommending books that references the All Blacks called Legacy, okay. uh, which I would highly recommend. And it just shows you. Uh, have you uh, have you had a chance to read that one, Ed? I have not. No. Uh-uh. So one of one of the great chapters of the book they talk about the culture within the the All Blacks, and that they are consistently the world's voted the world's 
most successful sporting team. And it's so, so simple. After a test match, like an international game, after the game's finished and they're in the change rooms, before they leave, they go through and the place is left spotless. They all pick up their own rubbish in the tape from their boots and uh, the empty bottles and all the other orange peels or whatever the hell they're eating. They do it. Not the cleaners, mm. they, the individual players and the coaches involved. And it, te- and it teaches them or reinforces this power of like humility. Like you are, you are in a very fortunate position, you know, make the most of it. And, and having spoken to uh, Sir Steve, Sir Steve Hansen, uh, it just like trying to interview him was actually challenging because he was so yeah. damned annoyingly humble. <laughs> you couldn't get him <laughs> to talk about anything, but uh, it was a real thrill. So Legacy is the book there. Green Lights is the Matthew McConaughey book and uh, both very, very highly recommended. What's next for Ed Tate? Oh, wow. That is a good question. Good question. So um, for your audience, <laughs> you and I talked about this before, but your audience doesn't know this. Um, I have two children. So I have a two-year-old daughter. Her name is Toriel. She's my heart. Okay. I also have a 34-year-old son. So <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so all right, here, uh, here's the, the short story here. You know, like, uh, uh, this is my you know, second marriage, uh, first marriage, I, that's where my son comes from. And my second marriage, I, I uh, actually met my wife on, while I was on tour in South Africa. And um, because of a botched surgery in her teen years, uh, it was believed that she couldn't have children. And her entire life, you know, she never believed that she could have children. And then one day she's on tour with me in Chicago. and. It turns out she can have children. (laughs) So so what's next for me um, is this little girl and this change in my life has forced me to look at uh, my future self, if you will. What is my next five years? What are my next 10 years? What are my next 20 years look like? So I've got some big goals. So, you know, number one, I want to be I want to be healthy and around for my my daughter, you know, for as long as I possibly can. So as as you know, I recently got double hip surgery. So I, you know, replace both my hips in a span of 30 days because I want to be able to play with my little girl on the floor. And also, yeah, I want to be healthy. Um, looking at <clears throat> my finances, and I, I'm just talking strategy, not necessarily specifics. And I know you were, you were possibly looking for specific, specific answers, but I hope your audience can benefit from my thinking. So <clears throat> I want to shift over the next decade for, from Ed working for money to having my money work for me. So my ultimate you know, job I want to have is just managing my investments. So you know, this quarter, like we've invested in Bitcoin, we have changed some of the things in terms of the stock companies that we invest in and things of that nature. I've also changed you know, my insurance and all these other things, if you will. So I'm looking at, I'm playing the long game, the long haul. And I'm also being realistic as well, because there's a possibility I may not be able to you know, be around with, with my daughter in adulthood. So I'm making plans right now that for my daughter and for my wife specifically, that if I'm not around, then their lives won't be disrupted. So that's my long, that's the long game I'm playing. And that's the, that's what's next for Ed. So how do I do that? So I got big goals for this year and every year I always have, you know, three big goals. Um, One of my big goals was, you know, the surgeries done, check that off. Uh, number two is I have a financial goal for my business and everyone, you know, if you run a business, you should have that. And I am 85% of plan in terms of that number. And uh, my third goal is to be more prolific in terms of creating content. Again, just, you know, signed a book contract. So I'm going to be writing books. I want to produce more videos. So my goal at the end of this year is have at least 50 YouTube videos posted. And then next year, I want to double that so I want to I want to be more prolific in terms of the content that I create, the stories I I distribute, and and just building my you know my content empire, so to speak. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And and just to add to that as well, Ed, if you if you're interested, the the idea of mortality is something that I think about often. I have zero fear of death but I, I think about how long I can live. And with the power of affirmation, right, my mm-hmm. 
permanent record with my general practitioner. Whenever I go in there, which is not often, usually just to get blood work, it says patient says he's going to live till 150. And and so every time I go in there, she's like, oh, yeah, you're going to live to 150. So I'm telling myself that. My GP's mm-hmm. telling me that. And with modern science and some some of the things that I've figured out regarding health and well-being, you watch. I'll be, I'll be dishing out podcasts or whatever they're called in the future. <laughs> I believe you. I believe you, I, especially with the, you know, the, the changing in technology. For example, like, look at my hips. So I have two custom hips. That technology did not even exist two years ago. So as a matter of fact, I mean, this whole thing has been made laser, you know, they retrofitted, whatever, et cetera. And it's, it's designed specifically for my body. It's like, these aren't like off the shelf type of parts. So do they scan your, your, your old hip and then just replicate it through 3D yeah, printing? What they did is they took x-rays. We did, we did MRIs. We did, you know, multiple, they actually multiple MRIs. We did 3D imaging, uh, the whole nine yards. And it took, what was it? It took like eight weeks to design each replaced hip. And it was designed specifically for Ed Tate's body. You know, to go, there's there's no other place where these parts could go into, but that technology didn't even exist just two years ago. So that, so you make it to 150, there's things that don't exist today that will 10 years from now, you know, 20 years from now that we can't even imagine that are going to help you get to that number of 150. I do believe that to be true. One of the things that just literally came into my head, as you were saying, talking about your hips, Ed, I reckon it's not outside the realms of possibility that the next decade or two that they'll be able to replace the hips that you've that you've got now with your own bone and to to regrow the bone and uh, uh there's a lot of there's a lot of work to be done there but um and with what they're learning about yeah. certainly even even like cuz i i don't like taking a lot of supplementation or and i don't really i like trying to do it the, the natural way. I think the, understanding the body and just how amazing it is, like it's just been mm-hmm. forged over, a, you know, mil- like millions of years really. And and the power of fasting and the stem, stem cell reproduction and the telomere lengthening, that you know, which are basically the blueprint to how, lo- how long you're going to live. You know, it's fascinating. Um, so, mm-hmm. there's, yeah, there's a lot of work in that. But anyway, that, that's, a, that's a topic for another podcast. But <laughs> what a great incentive and what a wonderful miracle that was with your beautiful wife, you know, like having oh, yeah. experienced, you know, uh, I've spoken about this publicly a lot on the podcast. My fiance and I had five miscarriages and one ectopic oh. over the course of two and a half years or nearly three years. Oh, my. And, and but you know what? Like it's don't, don't, there's no pity or uh, or worry here, like Anna and I are in a very, very good place. And and it's just like what it's actually forcing us to do is go down avenues that we would have never gone down and creating these wonderful opportunities. And mm-hmm. so the worst case scenario, right, worst case is we have to adopt. That's the yeah. worst case scenario. And, and can you imagine being the son or the daughter of me? Like, Without being arrogant, you hit the jackpot there, right? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. This is my jackpot look on my face. <laughs> so for those of you, for those of you just listening, <laughs> yes. in my course. own humble I mean, opinion, but that's a beautiful thing, though. <laughs> that's a beautiful thing. That you know, to to have a child. I mean, there's a child out there who, whatever reasons, whatever circumstances they find themselves in. And then to be put into like a loving environment of, uh, you know, you and your fiance. I mean, that's just absolutely remarkable. I have a friend of mine, his name is uh, Mark Johnson, and he did that. And he says like, it's like one of, he loves his, his, he loves all of his kids equally. Uh, but there's something special about Christopher because Christopher was adopted. Uh, and, and Christopher was also, um, not only was adopted, Christopher was born addicted to crack cocaine because the mother was a, uh, a, a drug abuser. So wow. the baby literally wasn't hospitalized for like months and months and months. And, and Christopher has turned out to this, this great young man, um, highly intelligent, uh, highly energetic, you know, contributing, you know, a member of society. So uh, what, you know, if, if that's the worst case scenario, then good on you. Yeah. And it's, it's really interesting learning about the, this uh, shell that we are in that we call the body, right. And, and learning about, 
energy and I'm starting to sort of drift off to what might sound a bit woo-woo or airy-fairy to some people, but mm-hmm. um, I I really firmly believe that the, the power of thought and intent, intention uh, and coming from an abundance mindset has been a catalyst for the most remarkable health. And I, our bodies are, you know, they talk about vibrational frequency and a lot of this other stuff that they are starting to be able to prove. You know, people like Bruce Lipton uh, has studied this extraordinary uh, a work on, and you know, I'd encourage you to, to have a look at Dr. Bruce Lipton. Mm-hmm. Just phenomenal, phenomenal how we, like what we think is possible or what wasn't possible is now possible. And and this is why I'm so excited for the future because with my own health improvements, I'm like Benjamin Button. And for those that can't see it, <laughs> he, he looks about 30, but he's actually way older than <laughs> it's ridiculous how good he looks. So well, there's absolutely much. no reason why you can't get to 150, which means your your daughter's going to be, what's that, uh, 70? 70? Like yeah, that's a good exactly. age. Yeah, I, would, I would love to hang out. I would love to hang out with her in her retirement years. That would be absolutely amazing. Why not? But, why not? But, but I do agree with you about mindset. So, so for example, I started off super poor. And today I live in a golf course. I live in this remarkable, I'm, I'm literally surrounded by mountains. There's a lake. If you look a little bit further down and it's all mindset, you know, I, I, I'm, there's nothing really special about me. I'm not, I'm no smarter than anybody else, but with one of my favorite books is called enlightened leadership. Uh, the, uh, the heart of change. And they have Can this you repeat concept. that one more time. Sorry. Repeat it's called enlightened leadership, getting to the heart of change, the light leadership, getting to the heart of change. And it was like written in the, the, the late 1980s. And they had this one concept and the concept is called forward and backward focus. And there's three laws of focus. Number one, you can only focus on one thing at a time. Number two, you get more of what you focus on. And number three, the words no or don't do not work. So let's take on the third law of focus. The word no or don't does not work. Have you ever said to a small child, don't spill the milk? Mm-hmm. What happens to that milk? Milk spilled. Every single time. And here's the reason why. There is no picture for the word no or don't. So when you tell someone don't do this or no, they actually see the behavior that you don't want them to do. Mm-hmm. So when you say to a small child, don't spill the milk, what does the child see? The, chi- the child sees spilled milk. Guess what, mom, dad, you're responsible because you planted that picture in their brain. What you need to do is paint the picture of the behavior that you do want. Honey, hold the cup with both hands, okay? Uh, but you can only focus on one thing at a time. And you get more of what you focus on. So if you're focused on what you can't do, guess what? Your brain will produce all that evidence. Yeah. And if you focus on what you can do, your brain will produce all that evidence. We can only focus on one thing at a time. We get more of what we focus on and the words no and don't don't work. So those three laws of focus and this, again, this concept of what they call forward focus and backward focus. So if you're focused on what you can do, um, well, if you focus on what you can't do, you can't be focused on what you can't. If you're focused on problems, you're not focused on solutions, you know, and it, you know, and it goes on and on and on. So this is something that I was exposed to in my early twenties and early thirties, and it has helped me throughout my life. And going back to this other topic of energy, energy is everything, especially in public speaking. You know, if you have two speakers, one is higher energy than the other, you're always going to find, you're always going to follow the higher energetic speaker. So I, I agree with you completely. Yeah, it, brilliant. Love it. it it's it's and I, one one extra uh, request I have if you if you're able to share with our audience is what are some specific wording that we can use? Let's use the milk example. Mm-hmm. What's an alternate phrase that can be said that's more effective? Or you know, honey, uh, honey, hold the cup with both hands. So here's here's the strategy. Here here's the strategic piece. Paint the pa- behavior of the behavior that you paint the picture of the behavior that you want people to do rather than not do, you know? So what do you want the person to do? Like if you, if you have an employee, like say for example, you have an employee who is arriving late on a consistent basis, as opposed to pounding him or her about like being late, being late, being late. Guess what? We get, we focus, we get more of what we focus on. We can only focus on one thing at a time. We're focusing on being late. How about we have a conversation about arriving early? So, Working together, what can we do so that you can arrive here at least 10 to 15 minutes early? What are some of your ideas? What are some of your strategies? We're having a completely different conversation. 
where I'm not hammering you about being late. I'm thinking, I'm talking about how can we work together, you getting here early. That's the behavior that I want. Have conversations about, have more conversations about the behavior that you want rather than the conversations that you don't want. In the world, on a daily and a weekly basis, you will hear people talk about what they don't want or, you know, basically something negative. You know, so rarely do you hear people talk about conversations about what they do want. So that's the strategy. The strategy is paint the picture of the behavior that you do want from another person rather than what you don't want. I absolutely adore that, Ed. One of the single greatest changes that I implemented in my own development over the last six years of my large transformation was removing negative self-talk and self-deprecating humor, which is really hard to do in New Zealand and Australia where they have tall poppy syndrome and they love self-deprecating humor. Mm-hmm. And, and what it's taught me, it, well, I've eliminated all of that negative reinforcement out of my life, but it's also taught me to pay attention to the way other people speak about themselves. And in the right, with the right opportunity, I can say, hey, don't be so hard on yourself. Have you thought about reframing it this way? And like you just see the relief on people's faces when they, you know, when they talk kindly because it's that reinforcement so, so destructive in the wrong way, but so powerful in the other. There's an expression, and it's not mine. And I honestly, I can't remember where I got it from, but it has helped me throughout my entire life. Never say anything about yourself you do not want to be true. Never say anything about yourself that you, you do not want to be true. So, for example, when I first got into public speaking, I used to have this phrase. I used to say, it's like, I have a terrible memory. Well, you know, if you're going to be a professional speaker, that's not a really good thing to say. Because <laughs> your job pretty much depends on your memory. And I just stopped saying that. You know, I just, I just said, I, I'm never, I don't want that to be true. And here's something else. I start noticing, again, forward focus, backward focus, focus. I start noticing the times when I did remember something and I started to acknowledge that. So, for example, here's a common example. Most people say that they're terrible at remembering names. Yeah. And that may or may not be true. But when you say that, when you say that statement, I'm terrible at remembering names, what happens, it reinforces that thought. And you go onto this, what I call this downward spiral. However, if you remember a person's name, huh, guess what? It, it creates an upward spiral. So the thing I'm inviting people to do is why don't you notice or catch yourself when you do something right, as opposed to just only when you do things wrong. And again, like you said, reframe it. Never say anything about yourself you you don't want to be true. As a professional speaker, I can't afford to say I have a lousy memory. That's awful. That would be terrible for me. That is not true. Okay. And I've, I've programmed myself to say I've got a memory that is better and better and better. I mean, I'm not going to do like any type of, you know, magic tricks and memorize a phone book or something like that. However, I've got a really good memory in terms of what I do and it helps me with my profession. Amen, brother. That was exactly the phrase I used to say about myself. I've got a terrible memory too. And, and what I found that certainly as part of the uh, psychological help that I got uh, when I sort of reached out that most of my zero to 18 life was gone. And Mm. what's happened now with the healing and the telling myself that I've got a better memory, those memories are coming back. And it wasn't, there was some memories that were repressed that were negative, you know, Mm -hmm. child of divorce, but there was many really wonderful memories that had been repressed as well. It must've been caught up in that same loop. And my memory has gotten way better. And one other thing I'd say to people, if you want to develop your charisma even further, Remember people's names. Mm. It's ridiculous. You know, I, I got a chance to, to meet uh, former President Clinton once, uh, many, many years ago when he was still in office. Uh, first of all, the guy is like a lot taller than, you, than I anticipated when I met him. But this guy had a remarkable memory. So it was a special event for the National Speakers Association. And we were in there for our annual convention. And it was I mean, I'm just like about 100 of us. And Mr. Clinton, and he only stayed there for a couple of minutes, but that guy memorized, he knew every person's name. He, and he repeated, and it didn't matter how difficult the name may have been. He would pronounce it accurately. He would use that person's name over and over again in the conversation. He would make you feel like you're the only person in the room. And that was like, what, 
30 plus years ago, and I still remember it as if it were today. That, you know, to just to reinforce your point there, if you remember someone's name, guess what? You know, that's that's a, that's a key to influence. Ed Tate, you're going to be the world's number one professional speaker. <laughs> and I just that sounds like your that sounds like you're Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> <laughs> I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. Sure you didn't, Bill. Sure you didn't. Oh, Ed, didn't Ed, go could, there. <laughs> we could talk about this all day, but I'm going to ask you for any concluding thoughts. Uh, well, hey, first of all, you know, thank you for having me on your show. And again, I just want to reinf- reinforce some of the, the concepts and the ideas that we talked about here today. Um, if you're interested in professional speaking or just asking for anything, it's all about confidence. And a great place for you to practice your confidence is uh, Toastmasters, toastmasters.org. Uh, if you want to you know, hang out with me, you just, you know, edtake.com, that's my website. You know, send me an email, text, whatever it may be. I'm on all social media and uh, I'll be more than happy to follow up with you. What's the title of your book, Ed? It's going to be Winning High Stakes Presentations. And so look out for that early 2022. Yep. All of the links will be available below. Check out his World Championship speech. It is nothing short of ridiculous. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Ed Tate. It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel, or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training. Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com.